Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked-up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil & Gas Onshore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeka, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier. All right, we're back at it. Welcome to this week's episode. We're here at the Canon with my fellow hack and whack compadre, Mr. Brian Spencer, sales engineer at Slumberjay. How's it going, man? Yeah, doing pretty well, man. Good Friday. Excited for the hack and whack in a few hours. Yeah. So funny enough, that's actually how we we met kind of. You listen to the podcast and you hit me up and yeah, you know, hack and whack, you know, how do you know, what's the deal here? This and that. And I tell you the details next thing, you know, you show up in your goalie gear and I was just like, <laughs> holy smokes, this guy's for real. So I was pretty pumped about that. So yeah, you're, you know, you listen to the podcast. Was it just one that you happened to stumble across or how'd you, how'd you start listening to oil and gas on shore? Yeah. So I just started with a new position a few months back with Summer J sales engineers, you had mentioned. And one of my colleagues who has been working in US land for quite a while, she had mentioned the OGGN series of podcasts. And I was like, oh, I might as well just give it a go. You know, yeah. learning's, learning's the best thing to do when you're trying to get into a new position. So right? yeah, I started following up and it's pretty great. Honestly, I've been learning a lot and it's it's great to just get it, uh, get an idea about what's out there in, in North America land. There's so many different things here compared to anywhere else in the world. So yeah, it's yeah, just great resource. Cool, cool. So uh, speaking of hockey, you definitely fit the mold with your hockey hair, man. Yeah. I love it. For those who don't know Brian, he's <laughs> actually got some beautiful flowing locks. He's kind of like the Fabio Lanzoni of the oil field. <laughs> and then I thought about it some more and I was like, well, actually come to think of it, you're, it's more wavy. So kind of like the Russell Brand of, of the oil field, the, the English comedian actor. Do you know who that is? Yeah, I get that a lot, actually. <laughs> no way. So I was, so I, I looked it up because I, when I was thinking about it, I was like, yeah, Russell Brand. I was like, I, I want to make sure that's the same, you know, the person I was thinking of yeah, and it yeah. was and then i stumbled across a youtube video with him talking about being lazy it's hilarious <laughs> he talk he talks about how lazy he was when signing on and being a drug addict and how being a drug addict can be quite taxing on his body and so <laughs> it's the funniest thing and then he talks about how exhausting it must be to be like mark Wahlberg or the rock getting it up at 3 a.m to do a workout and crowd therapy and all the other stuff that they do but he just goes on and like about the most random things so i'll put the link in the show notes so if anyone's a fan of him you got to check out this video. He did it recently, actually. So take a look. So would you consider yourself lazy there, Brian? <laughs> That's a question to start off with. Yeah, right. no. You know, the thing is to just try to find ways to motivate yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, I was actually listening through some of the podcasts before trying to, you know, like psych myself up for this. And yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> one of the things is, is just to like write everything down and just just get everything in line. And then once you have it written down, it's just so much easier to start to achieve that so for me if i don't write it down i've got so many things going through my head you know it kind of yeah yeah you know it can kind of get lost in the noise but i've kind of got a a little bit of a laid-back lifestyle i was for a while i was working rotation overseas and and spend my rotation off on the beach and doing scuba diving and so you know it was uh dude that's awesome you can't do that in galveston (laughs) can't do that in galveston yeah no actually some guy in the happy hour actually mentioned there's some guy there's a the flower gardens or something you you take a boat trip out and you live on the boat for a yeah yeah it's kind of cool here out of out of galveston, galveston. yeah yeah no kind of interesting i was actually gonna look that up but I, I haven't had the chance to yet so huh so speaking <laughs> of the happy hour it's it's cool that you came out on tuesday and, yeah. and you actually said you ran into some folks that you hadn't seen in forever right what, what was who was it again yeah so one of my one of my old like friends high school friends we went to high school in Indonesia together. So I grew up overseas mostly. My dad worked with oil and gas as well. And so we kind of hopped around from place to place. And 
So I went to Jakarta International School from sixth to ninth grade. And this guy that I knew in ninth grade, he was here. He had just started a new position here, Safe Badri. There's a little shout out to him, I guess. But no way. Yeah. So it was crazy. I mean, you know, it's been, what, 15 years almost? And, and, right at the presentation point, he comes up and he nudges me. I'm like, holy hell, you know, there you are, right? That's insane, man. Well, that's such a, you know, that, and that's what I love about Oilfield networking events because you have no idea who you're going to run into. And here you are in Houston, Texas, (laughs) which is kind of the hub of the the oil field and energy. But, you know, a fellow student from back in the day in the Middle East there, it's like, like what other industry could that happen? And maybe it does. I don't know. I've always, I've only ever been in oil and gas. So maybe yeah. I'm biased, but I've ran to folks like whether it's happy hours or even airports, old drillers that I used to work with. Yeah. I was at a spring meetings with a bunch of folks back in Canada. And, and one of my best friends, tool pushers was there that I used to know like 10 years ago. And so it's just like, you, you never know. And so uh, that's a neat story. And, and again, if anyone out there in the Houston area wants to come hit up the OGGN happy hours there every last Tuesday of the month. So be sure to hit us up and you can go to the, the link in the show notes and sign up for the next one. So yeah. So looking back at your LinkedIn, you, you actually have a really interesting background. You kind of touched on it, but you lived in Indonesia and actually went to like a Texas A&M at Qatar. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't so. even know that the Aggies <laughs> made their way all the way out to the Middle East. But like, holy smokes. That's, yeah. That's crazy. It's really cool. They've got this thing called, oh, geez, I'm going to butcher this. Cutter Foundation, I think, is, is what it's called there. And so it, it's a group of universities from all over. And they've got like Cornell, Carnegie Mellon, which is my alma mater. They've got a school over there as well. A&M, just to name a few. And so they've got these little satellite schools that have built up. Just like, uh, yeah, in one campus, they've got all these schools that come together and they offer these this high level, you know, U.S. education in the Middle East. So you've got people from all over, international people from all over that come in, can study there and, you know, engineering, computer science, tons of things. And so at the time when I went to Texas A&M at Qatar, I was uh, my father was working in Qatar still. Okay, so I was there for the summer and decided to pick up a class when I was there and and got an internship afterwards as well. So it's it's pretty cool. Definitely great. You know, the best thing about the oil and gas industry is the international lifestyle and being able to interact with people from all over, you know, oil yeah. and gas is everywhere. Yeah, it so is. You're always going to be working from with someone from, you know, any country in the world. So. Right. So tell us a little bit about your experience over there. I mean, do you still keep in touch with folks you went to school with? And, and if so, they're probably scattered throughout the globe, eh? Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that's, that was always nice when I was on that rotation was I was always traveling everywhere. And, you know, I kind of like to brag that I never really need to pay for a hotel room. I always <laughs> got to know someone from wherever, you know, so no it was, it was nice. And now I'm here in, in Houston. I was originally born here in Houston. No way. You made your way back home. Yeah. I made my way back home. I've got a house and everything. So I'm excited. I got the extra bedroom for the sole purpose to be able to, you know, host all the guys I've been crashing at. <laughs> yeah. The past, return uh, the favor. Exactly. Yeah. 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 How's the move going? I know you said you were, you were exhausted on yeah. Tuesday from the move, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's slow. It's slow. You know, like I've, I've been an engineer for a long time and, you know, for me, numbers make a lot of sense. And yeah. so, I just bought myself my first set of furniture and I was so worried about everything. <laughs> you know, took a measuring tape and everything, trying to measure out the dimensions of the room and, and they moved everything in. And man, I did not have a millimeter to spare. I no swear. kidding. Yeah. That's some good though. You're, you're perfect sh- fit. Yeah. Okay. Very <laughs> strategic. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, I mean, you're, you're living by yourself? Yeah. Yeah. At okay, the moment so I've got a roommate coming in next month. So. Okay. So you didn't have a honey to help you uh, decorate or anything. Hey, it's just no, pu- yeah. pure testosterone driven <laughs> furniture, decoration, everything else. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. My goal <laughs> of the whole situation was to not have someone come in and say like, oh yeah, man, definitely decorated this room. You know? 
yeah. right well if there's any honeys out there that want to that are single and want to help decorate fabio's new place you you hit me up and we'll get you lined out perfect yeah yeah so when you were overseas did you ever yeah. hop the pond and go to abu dhabi or dubai or anything like that yeah so we i used to do that quite a bit we actually had a when i was in school there we did a couple of like trips and everything to go over there but this is a while back you know you're talking sure. about maybe before 2008 so the amount of growth that's happened from 2008 onwards is just insane. You know, there's so much construction, so much everything going on, yeah. new buildings and tearing down old buildings. So, you know, of course, Qatar's got the World Cup coming up pretty soon you know, oh, in a few no. years. So it's, it's going to be almost unrecognizable. So, I bet. Are you going to yeah. go? Yeah, actually. So no my, my old roommate just moved over to Qatar as a sales engineer there with Schlumberger as well. What? And so, Rachel Ryan, if you're out there, I just want to put this on the record that you've promised me your couch. So <laughs> Sweet. Is it close to where they're going to be playing? You know, it's, it's not really that close, but it's a beautiful area. If you've heard of the Palm in Dubai, you know, yeah. like the artificial island. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, she's got a place over in the Pearl, which is it's the kind of same kind of deal it's a very cosmopolitan beautiful you know beaches wow. high rises everything it's it's gorgeous man well if the couch is big enough you might just have <laughs> someone crawl out of your suitcase when you land because yeah, that sounds pretty badass yeah yeah i'm really really hoping she's there you know slumberjay tends to move us around quite a bit so i'm hoping she's there for a little bit longer <laughs> no kidding what an i mean what a neat experience to, to be able to go over there yeah. especially during that time and, yeah. and just see uh, it's the culture and mm -hmm. the excitement and bringing the world together for the world cup that'd be an absolute amazing experience. Mm -hmm. So before we keep going here, let's take a quick break. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and do me a huge favor and take a few minutes to leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Any feedback is welcome and appreciated, good or bad. Also, if you feel like you have a great story or an idea for a show or simply have any questions, hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm always checking it. So I've had a lot of good conversations and people reach out to me over the last little while on LinkedIn. So I appreciate it. Certainly. One thing I wanted to mention that's kind of new for us here at OGGN is we're excited to launch the OGGN Street Team and are currently looking for more members to join the family. What is OGGN Street Team, you ask? Well, our goal with the street team is to engage our community through social media and provide value to all of you who help us do that. We started the street team as a way to gain larger reach on social media. We want to bring the community written content to our platforms by having you write the content. We're excited about how this will help cultivate our community and give us a sense of community-led content. You're probably wondering, what's in it for me? Well, to show our appreciation, we'd be offering the following perks. Things like receiving press passes to oil field events, free entry to our monthly happy hours in any of the cities we have them in, some OGGN swag, the ability to promote our own content, and just the opportunity too, to learn from like-minded individuals and network with many leaders in the oil and gas industry. The only thing required is an hour of volunteer work per week and sharing two podcast episodes per month on your social media channels and tagging OGGN. So if you're interested, hit me up and uh, we'll point you in the right directions. So Brian, tell us a little bit about your experience going to school and working in the Middle East. I know you touched on it, but you know, like with the amount of people coming in, was it, were there people from everywhere across the world? Were the teachers from there? I mean, was it a melting pot or what, like, how was that? Yeah. So starting out with Schlumberger, the, you know, you go to a first school, essentially we call that, I would start off with wireline and I was doing wireline for about six and a half years. Mm -hmm. And so you go to a school and I was working internationally. So here I was actually assigned in Australia for my first assignment. And so the thing is, is like a, you just get people from everywhere. You know, mm -hmm. I, I had maybe three Egyptians, two people from Colombia, one Venezuelan. Oh, geez. Had a person from Scotland. 
Oh man, there's so many people from this school. And that's one of the best things about Slumberger to me is the diversity that you get from there, you know? Yeah. And they bring everyone in together. And of all places, we were just in Tulsa, Oklahoma for my first school, you know, <laughs> and we all got to hang out there. And, you know, it, it's great seeing so many different people from different cultures and the way they approach different situations. Mm. And, you know, that's probably the best thing that you can learn from being in a place like Slumberger or any other international company with that many different people is just looking at the way that people approach things based on what they learned as a kid or what they grew up with as their culture yeah. and seeing how they look into confrontation or anything like that. So interesting. Um, yeah, pretty great. I mean, you know, you get people from all over and all different walks of life. Yeah. So yeah, honestly, I loved it. And my whole career through Slumberger has been the same, you know, people from all over working together to try to, you know, achieve whatever problems arise during that day for the operation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So looking back at it, I mean, what was the biggest takeaway from having the experience with so many different cultures? And I mean, do you find that people here, like, especially, you know, on the Gulf coast or in South Texas, you know, we're typically used to dealing with, you know, a handful of different of people that come from relatively the same areas, right. but you know, what kind of takeaways did you, do you have from working with different cultures and how, how does that sort of help you in your career now? Yeah, for sure. So one of the things that's, that's, I, I guess I'll just kind of tackle that last part of the question first. So one of the things that's so great about working with so many different people from different cultures is that you have the ability to make so many more connections with what you're doing. You know, you can bring up, you know, an experience or maybe something that you're feeling when you're, you know, taking part of a different, you know, cultural event, or, you know, maybe you went over here and you recognize that, you know, this might be a part of their culture. You can bring that up in some sort of conversation or even take that and kind of, you know, approach, you know, again, as a sales engineer, I'm sure you understand, you know, you always want to try to find that kind of connection with someone where you can stand out from anyone else. Mm -hmm. And so using that, it's, and having so many different experiences, you know, you can pretty much reach out to anyone. And especially during the happy hour, you know, it was, it was the same thing. Everyone was coming out to me. I was like, wow, you know, you can, you know, everyone like you have something in common with everyone. And so, you yeah. know, it's, one of the cool things is that you can reach out and just be able to relate to pretty much anyone. And so that's definitely something that I've been able to feel, especially in my sales career right now, that I've been able to benefit from that. But as a manager as well, you know, wireline field engineer, we are in charge of the crews and everything and, and everyone else that we have to deal with there. So especially when I was in Australia, we had lots of different people, lots of different viewpoints and people coming in to help us out when we were a little bit busier than other locations. We had a lot of Indonesian equipment operators coming down to help us out. And so, you know, kind of taking the small town, you know, I was in a small town, 5,000 people out in the middle of the bush in, in yeah. Queensland. So, you know, sometimes their experience with other international people, not so, you know, not, not very prevalent. So you have to kind of take some of the things you know, they do something slightly different. So you have to kind of mediate that. Right. That's another great thing that you can get and you can try to explain and convince them or, you know, this is how they do things. You know, it's just something different mm -hmm. and here's how we can get through this together, you know? Yeah. So it sounds like, yeah, especially as a leader and someone managing people, I think those are some skills that you can't teach in school or, you know, in a, in a root classroom environment or even in an office, but having the experience with dealing with other people and how they handle, whether it be confrontation, where, you know, what they value, how, yeah. you know, do they value family? Do they value work? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and being able to tie that all in to handle people because our industry is such a people person, like it's such a face to face and we're still dealing with people every single day. And so the better you are at, at managing that, navigating the waters with so many different, you know, 
personalities and cultures and everything like that. I just think as a leader, you're setting yourself up to be able to, you know, have, be able to be put in any situation all over the globe for that matter. And, you know, that adds value, especially to Slumberjay, because they all are, you know, all, all over the world. Yeah. That, that makes you stand out, you know, and so that's pretty cool. Do you know other languages too? or? Yeah, so when I was growing up, I lived in a, an old French colony. Niger is in West Africa, just north of Nigeria. Yeah. So very, you know, very poor country. So, um, vous parlez français? Oh, oui, oui, je, je parle un peu de français. <laughs> okay, moi aussi. Uh, yeah, da, da, da. <laughs> No, I actually, I should know more. I actually went to French immersion school until I was in grade nine. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. So my grandma actually used to speak French to me. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So Fantastic. it would, it yeah. would yeah, right off the cusp here, it'd be hard to carry a conversation. <laughs> but if I got, you know, back in the swing of it, I could. So anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just thought it was funny. No, you're good. You know, usually my French gets a lot better after a few beers anyway, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> my English does. I can yeah. totally talk as it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. <laughs> Oh shoot! What were you? What were you talking about there? You know, I don't even remember. But uh, <laughs> oh, different languages. Yeah, different languages. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I grew up in in Niger. So I learned French when I was there in in elementary school, and I kind of been picking that up and maintaining that throughout my school career, Good or I guess you. my schooling. Yeah. And then when I was in university, I ended up picking up Arabic because I knew that was something that I really wanted to, wow. you know, try to focus on and going back into the Middle East and and especially as a oil and gas, you know, that's invaluable really yeah so did that studied abroad in jordan for a few months you know try to get as much in and you know like the best way to learn a language for sure is just talking to the local people as soon as you get like a decent understanding my my best learning experiences was with taxi drivers in jordan so yeah yeah no way do you have any funny stories that come oh i do but definitely not podcast friendly (laughs) (laughs) we'll have to you have to fill me in later then yeah well, it sounds like you're setting yourself up to move up the corporate ladder with Slumberjay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know the languages, you've been all over the world. So uh, I'm sure you're on the fast track, which is pretty cool. So how did you actually end up coming back to the States then? So funny story, actually. So I was in Australia and I was there for five years. And at that point, my visa was just about to expire. And you know, we were going through the process of renewing everything. And none of the paperwork had been submitted. And about... It was about the day actually I was leaving on my last rotation away from Australia. There was breaking news on the, uh, I was in an airport and some small, like this is even smaller. It was like a gas plant with about 300 people in it. Oh, wow. And everyone goes on commuter flights in and out. And I was sitting there and then there's breaking news. It was my exact visa that I was going to apply for. You know, they are canceling that visa overall and then overhauling the whole visa process. No kidding. Yeah. So right then, you know, I I knew that I wasn't going to be in Australia any longer. They kind of like to keep us there because we had to get a lot of training, a lot of specifics, licenses and things like that to be able to work there. And so at that point, I called my boss up and I was like, hey, you know, boss, what's the, what's the deal? What's going to happen with me? He was like, oh, don't worry. We'll find you a place to work. And I was like, I was just about to go on my three weeks to Indonesia, you know, dive instructor and everything. So I was like, oh, man, oh, you know, maybe shoot. I hope they don't call me back a little bit. But yeah, <laughs> no, I got a transfer over to Midland, Texas, you know, right where everything is. So that was a very exciting time in my life, you know, coming from especially like the really cushy labor laws over in Australia going to Midland, I remember my first that 36 hour job and I was, I was crying to my boss, you know, like, where's my, where's my relief? Where's my relief? Yeah. You just told me there isn't any. (laughs) Wow. So then back in Australia, they're like set on, you know, you work so many hours, you get a break. Yeah. There's okay. a reason why I wanted to stay in Australia yeah, for a while. No. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. Most people that I talk to that work there are like, yeah, yeah. I want to go back. Yeah, 12 hours maximum pretty much. I mean, you can get like approval up to 16, but after that, you know, you need pretty much for us, it would have been the Eastern Hemisphere manager would have had to get approval past 16 hours. And wow. so that's, you know, 
couple levels below CEO. So you don't want to be calling that guy in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, you yeah. know, and I feel like eventually and, and, and everyone's like, oh, work hard, you know, sleep yeah. when you're dead. But ultimately, if, if operators are trying to have people out there that are performing at the highest level, yeah. I mean, sleep deprivation is almost worse than being drunk. So exactly. I think eventually our industry is going to catch up to stuff like that. Yeah. But because of how busy we are, it's mm-hmm. like no one has the time to dive into, you know, those types of policies and right. figure it out. It's like they're too busy just trying to, you know, figure out how to get the job done, let alone figure out how to keep people, you know, and, and we, granted, we've done a lot better now of like mm-hmm. our safety programs for sure, and everything. For sure. But I think eventually it's just going to have to happen just the way our, you know, our, our rules and regulations are going. But no, that's, that's pretty neat. So then you went to Midland doing that. And mm-hmm. then from Midland, you bounced to Houston? Yeah. So I was in Houston for a bit. I was uh, managing caseload operations out in a small town south of here. And then about uh, four months later, I took over for South Texas completely. I, I moved over to uh, Pleasanton. I was actually commuting back and forth seven oh, no hours a, a week. So yeah, I know where Pleasanton is. We have a yeah. warehouse there actually. So. Yeah. 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 So I was out there. I was eating at Chili's every day, you know, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> but I was out there managing open hole and caseload operations at that point and did that for another five or six months and then ended up getting this opportunity to come back to Houston. So family's here, friends are here. Yeah. And kind of made my home a little bit for that first section when I was here. So cool. Yeah. Very happy to be back. And again, I got my roots. So first time I've had roots in a long, long time. So very excited to be back. And hey, now I get to play hockey. So that's pretty great, right? Dude, exactly. So tell, I mean, I'm sure everyone's wondering how the hell does a guy from, you know, kind of bounce around all over the world pick up hockey? When did you start playing hockey? Yeah, I mean, there's really no good explanation for this. Um, so, <laughs> and a goalie at that. Yeah, yeah. It's so my brother and I, you know, we we were always pretty competitive, and you know, we had a video game when we were like six years old. You know, Wayne Gretzky's 3D hockey. I'm not yeah. sure if anybody played that, but was you it know, uh, either Nintendo or Sega? 64, yeah, 64, Nintendo yeah. 64, yeah. And so we played that, and we pretty much got obsessed about hockey after that. And, nice. Uh, yeah, my brother would always score on me unless I played with his one goalie and that's Patrick Waugh on the Colorado <laughs> yeah. Avalanche. And so that's so that's, that's why I like it. it. Yeah. Patrick Waugh is my favorite. He became my idol. My brother was always a big Dallas Stars fan as well. Yeah. And so they beat the Avalanche in I think two thousand one. Okay. It was Devils versus the Stars in two thousand one Stanley Cup final. Devils beat the stars, so then the Devils became my new favorite team because they beat my brother's team. <laughs> yeah, so, sweet. Yeah. I love but, it. You know, goalies were always my favorite thing. Lived in the Middle East for a while. They had like a a hockey rink in one of the malls there and they were playing ball hockey in a, a really small rink and they were always begging for goalies and I ended up getting these really old, old smelly pads from some guy and got some, you know, loaner gear and essentially was playing with that for about six months, six to eight months before I can get a shipment back from Canada. Yeah. In. And then, uh, yeah, started playing from there. So I started playing in guitar actually. And how uh, old were you then? Malls. I was 17. Okay. Yeah. Definitely pretty, pretty, you know, random definitely interesting but i i absolutely loved it so yeah, yeah. and then when did you get on the ice because i was you said ball hockey yeah 17 that's when i got on the ice oh okay <laughs> so okay. i've never really been skating much i've only been a goalie for the whole time so it's uh no that's awesome yeah. man i mean <laughs> i shoot being people always make fun of me they don't think i'm a real canadian because I, I grew up in british columbia where i snowboarded all winter right right and so i never played competitive hockey i mean for elementary school and you know in high school for gym class we'd head up to the rink and throw skates on and we'd just skate around and learn but i actually played hockey for the first time in houston so yeah. you know super funny because yeah. it's like this kid from canada <laughs> plays hockey for the first time in houston like you gotta be kidding me but it's a great time and so <laughs> that's neat though again like you just never know you can pick up 
that sport at any time. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's a truly international sport, you know, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, you know, being that you're an engineer, you know, most folks go, you know, the natural path is, you know, go to school, engineering degree, go work for an operator. Yeah. What made you decide to stay working for Slumberjay versus, I'm sure you've gotten opportunities, or if not, you probably could hop on the operator side. I mean, what, what keeps you on the service side of things? So I was, I, I got an internship with Slumberjay when I was a junior in college. And so it actually came from, I was in a fraternity in college and one of my best friends in, in, in there, he got an internship with Slumberjay. Okay. And so, you know, it's all about networking at that point. And, you know, he kind of showed me what he did for his internship. I was looking about and I was like, oh, oil and gas, you know, international experience. These are kind of the things that I wanted to get into in a full-time job. And so I ended up getting an internship with Slumberjay. I was working in good old Abilene, Texas as a, as a wireline intern, you know, essentially I was a second hand there and I loved getting my hands dirty. Yeah. I absolutely loved being in the thick of things and seeing everything and handling the stress of the oil and gas industry and, you know, especially the field. And I honestly, I fell in love there and maybe it was a bit misguided. You know, I didn't see the stress so much as an intern, but you know, the experiences that I had in the field have truly made me into who I am today. Yeah. I, you know, definitely wasn't so, uh, I guess, hard as a person and able to uh, manage all these different things and different challenges, different obstructions, you know, whatever you, you get to when you're trying to finish your walk in life. And Slumberjay, more than anything, and, and any field job, I'm sure is the same, just really teaches you to use what resources you have in order to get the job done, you know, well and safely. Yeah, And so that's, uh, I've, I've fell in love with that. And of course, there's some hard times, you know, everybody has a hard times. And, you know, I, I'm not gonna lie, you know, I've, I've, dreamt about quitting, you know, once or twice for sure, if not <laughs> right. more. Haven't but we all? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, you kind of persevere through that. And, you know, you know, once you get through the field and you get to this, you know, nice, cushy, you know, like office job now, you know, I've got an office with my name plaque on it. You know, we get food trucks coming every once in a while. You know, it's <laughs> like some of these things I never knew existed when I was in the field. Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely, you know, hard work. It definitely paid off in the end. Yeah. So good for you. Yeah. So how does an engineer get into sales? Like, where did that crossover happen? So with Slumberjay, one of the cool things, uh, starting with a field engineer, is that essentially the world is your oyster. You know, we've had a very good history of promoting from within. And pretty much people go from field engineer all the way up to, you know, CEO. And so this is one of the greatest things about Slumberjay is that we promote within and we really do value the time and effort that you put in as a field engineer. Mm -hmm. Because, again, it makes you who you are. And people understand that if you're able to put up with, you know, all the hardships that you have to go through working with a service company, that you are worth it and you can go through anything. Makes sense. And yeah, this transfer, it's one of the things And I told them, you know, they were looking for a transfer for me. And, and I had one of my managers actually come up to me and he said, you know, I understand this is what you want. And, you know, we understand that you are very valuable to this company and we're going to make sure that we do the right thing for you. And it's essentially the perfect job for me. You know, I've always wanted to be in sales since I was a little junior field engineer, you know? Yeah. So this is, it's really exciting. And I absolutely love the fact that this is where I am right now. And here I am on a podcast. You know? <laughs> right. So, yeah. Selling yeah. yourself. Exactly. Perfect. Right. Yeah. Well, tell, tell the listener. So your sales engineer, describe a little bit about what, you know, a typical day looks like for you or what your scope of work looks like. Yeah. So I've switched a little bit from where my wireline days and I, I'm moving on to uh, production. So what okay. I, what I deal with is multi-phase flow meters. And so I deal with production and a little bit on the completion side as well. And so our meter essentially is going to be, it's, it's honestly, it's great. It's such an easy thing to sell because it's such a great product. And I'm, I'm not trying to sound like a super salesy person here, but sure. it's one of the benefits, you know, it's, it's easy to do your job if what you're trying to sell is, is good. Yeah. 
And so it's a new technology for us, very high reliable data, essentially. And we're able to, I guess our competition is more like the traditional separator setup that we have on the pads. And so we have a very small package able to get very precise and accurate molecular data for what's flowing through our meters. Okay. And so, yeah, so I guess in terms of what we're doing through the day is a lot of sales calls, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to break in somewhere. And a yeah. lot of this is through using your network. For sure. And you know, that's, that's the biggest thing about sales. You know, you send a cold email or something like that, you're not going to get a response, but you work with your network, you work with people who you know. And again, this is one of the great things about having international experience is that you can go into a room and you know three or four different people or know three or four people that know other people. And so that's what you're really trying to leverage as a sales engineer is to get that and break it in. And then, you know, with a product like mine, it's once you get in, it's 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 honestly not too bad. We're able to save our customers a lot of money in CapEx and OpEx. Okay, And cool. so, yeah. yeah, it's a great product, honestly. I'm very excited. <laughs> and I'm sure I said that about six times. No, but, hey, yeah. you're passionate. And you got to believe in what you sell, right? Exactly. So yeah. let's get a little bit more onto the technical side. So sure. you've got this, it's a meter. So does it tie in? So you, you drill a well, you, com- yep. you know, you obviously complete it, whatever, you mm-hmm. got your pipeline, you're flowing, you know, gas, water, oil. Yeah. And then is that meter like just outside of the, the wellhead or where does that meter sit? Or we typically it? install it downstream of the choke. And so it's just one big piece of pipe. It's a venturi. If anyone is familiar with that, it's just essentially a big steel pipe. So one of the benefits that we get out of this is that there's no moving parts, very little maintenance to be done. When you're talking about separators, you're talking about having to pump some gunk out, having to clean everything, having to, you know, like uh, maintain some of the the meters and everything else that are installed on the pipes. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of work. You know, we've been able to see some of our clients have been able to see almost a 75% reduction in, in OPEX wow. from working with this. And so, you know, that can be quite a lot from, you know, 20,000 a month and we've been able to see about $5,000 a month at most for our meters. Nice. So it's fantastic. And then, so yeah, we, Again, so no moving parts and it's just a steel pipe. So we don't see any loss in pressure. So essentially whatever you want from your choke, you can pump that through a meter. And as long, you know, it'll, it'll essentially no pressure drop until you get to, you know, a larger separator that you would have to do before your facility. So we've seen a lot of clients get a lot of benefit out of that. Okay. So what is it, what is it measuring? So at this, it's measuring essentially your water cut, gas cut, you know, uh, and oil cut. And so we're able to find specific flow rates for everything as it's coming out. And one of the good things about this that we can that we can get out of this meter as well is that we get real-time data and a lot of our clients are using this real-time data and a little bit of uh, data analytics and real-time data analytics to be able to use that to optimize their entire production out of a, a, a well or a pad. So, of course. Actually, yeah. that kind of leads me into my next question because everyone's talking about AI, big yeah. data, you know, digitalization. So like further explain how that plays a role in, into what you're offering. Yeah, so I can't explain too much, unfortunately. Some okay, of the stuff no is, is client proprietary. But, I got you. Uh, or let's just say in that world of production or, yeah. or like from a broad spectrum, like is that, I mean, I'd imagine big data is huge because you're constantly flowing oil and gas and water. Exactly, exactly. So, and one of the benefits to our meters as well is that we do get, you know, very reliable data and, and it's, it's very high frequency data. We can pull data up to one you know, one second. So a lot of times what uh, clients are doing with SCADA systems or, you know, other things like this is we have, you know, averages of data. And essentially you look at it and you can look, if you think about a plot, right, you have dot, 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 and everything's about average. But when you're looking at the real time data, per second data kind of thing, you can see a lot of, 
you know, maybe slugging flow or something like this that you mm. can actually notice by by looking at the data, you know, real time with high frequency. Makes sense. Yeah. And so we can actually use some of this data and and plug that into some, you know, I'm I'm like getting really into home automation with my new home. And so this is yeah. one of the things. And if then, if this, then that. Yeah. And you can kind of start programming some of this stuff where, oh, maybe this is going a little bit higher and you can try something new and really optimize your flow and find out what you uh, need to do there. So. Okay. So basically the ability to make real time decisions exactly. versus yeah. things are happening. You wait until you get the data. And then by the time you want to change something, it's could be hours, days, weeks. I mean, who knows? Exactly. I'm just throwing numbers yeah. out there, but that's a neat thing too, about this whole, you know, big data yeah. is the ability to make real time decisions and, and being able to, you know, having the computer evaluate even risk involved with like, you know, here's a cost associated with this, this and this, and you can just, the amount of, of information you're getting and, and using that to make, you know, strategic decisions mm-hmm. ultimately just is time is money. And so if you're able to make them at that moment, you know, the, the, the dollar bills just add up. So no, that's pretty neat, man. You know, what's your goal with it? Are you, are you planning on being on the sales side further? Or I mean, what would you rather be more on the managerial side? Or are you happy on the sales side? I'm very happy with the sales side for now. You know, again, I'm kind of green into it. So it's still, yeah. it's still pretty fresh, but I'm absolutely loving it. You know, again, one of my favorite things is to make connections and, and being able to interact with other people and relate to other people. So for me, sales is a, a no brainer, you know, yeah. but at the same time, you know, one of my goals is to eventually get back overseas. Like, okay. You know, get back to that kind of lifestyle where you're able to interact with a lot more, you know, diverse set of people. I mean, honestly, I'm saying this here in Houston and, and Houston's probably one of the most diverse cities, you know, in the U S if, right? if you talk about this, especially in the oil industry. Yeah. But getting back and living the expat lifestyle a little bit and, getting closer to, you know, a lot of the places that I love and miss, you know, I love Southeast Asia and, uh, okay. you know, that's kind of like home away from home for me. So, yeah. If yeah. there's, so if there was one place, that would be it. Oh yeah. yeah that would be, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. I wow. really do miss Indonesia. So, okay. What about it? So, you know, this, it's kind of a, I feel like I'm going to be off a cheap recording or something, but you know, it's like the, the people there are honestly fantastic. You know, I've, I've lived in, three or four different areas in Indonesia and, and got to be able to see everyone there. And the, the, the welcoming part of the culture there is just amazing. And, you know, they, they take uh, people in that don't understand their culture and they try to bring you in and, and help you understand it. Wow. And it's honestly, there's so much history behind it, you know, going from, you know, like a, a Hindu, you know, a nation to a Buddhist nation. And then towards modern days where I guess it, it you know, like the, traders from Arabia came in and brought over Islam and then the, you know, the Dutch empire came in. So it's, it's honestly, there's so many things that create Indonesia and it's so many different parts of the culture. And the fact that they were able to bring that in and make it their own is, is something that's kind of beautiful for me. Wow. That is, uh, that is super cool. And, and I can, I can kind of understand where you're coming from. My mom, actually, she works in New Zealand in the winter times. And then she, on her way back to North America, a lot of times she'll travel around and she actually went to Bali I think two years ago now yeah. and like she came back almost a different person like even for the better you know she you know she joined people to do yoga and just yeah. meditate and like she like she stayed i think at like this cheap little hotel in mm-hmm. the middle of you know where she was staying so it wasn't touristy and when she travels she likes to you know immerse herself into the full culture and which is why you know she lives in, in mexico now she lives in this tiny little town Beautiful. that barely yeah. you know and speaks english and yeah. there's you know there's not these fancy hilton resorts mm-hmm. and stuff it's like she literally has this little house and it's yeah. surrounded by locals and so that's when she travels she tries to do that too and some of the pictures and just some of the, the architecture and 
just sort of the, you know, the Buddhism and all that. It was just really neat. And, and yeah. I really learned to appreciate that. And it, it made me do my research and kind of learn to appreciate it even more. So that's, that's neat though. I'm, yeah. I mean, it sounds like when you set yourself to doing something, you end up doing it. So I wouldn't be surprised if in a few <laughs> years you're, uh, you know, sending me an email from Indonesia, but uh, nonetheless, that's really cool. Yeah. We're getting close to getting timed out here, but I did want to ask you one more question. Sure, you kind of touched on, on daily, you know, your daily habits or your routine with, you know, tasks. You're very task oriented and you write things down. But is there anything else that sort of helped create a recipe for success in both your personal life and your career that you do on a daily basis, either way, when you get up, right before you right. go to bed, you, you, know, you meditate, you eat Cheerios? Like, what do you, <laughs> what do, you do, man? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the, one of the main things I guess that I've, I've learned is, you know, just be open to learning anything. And, you know, part of the reason why I'm here is because of that is because I've, I've chose to, you know, like get into podcasts and, and get into something where I'm learning something every day. I'm not listening to the, you know, the same 20 songs every day on my commute to work or whatever, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to like improve myself and grow. And, and this is part of kind of my mantra, I guess, if you want to say it, you know, put it that way. It's just, you know, you want to be growing. You never want to be you know, stagnant, right? Yeah. You know, there's, there's like a beautiful like quote in the Hadith. It's just like, it's like in, Please in share the Quran. It. Yeah, yeah. So it's essentially, it's like grow from cradle to grave. It's something that's very simple. And of course it's not the perfect translation. Sure. But you know, that's the main thing is that you always want to be growing no matter what you're doing and you want to be improving yourself. And the moment that you think that you're the expert and you don't need to know anything, that's the moment that you know that you're wrong. Yes. Right? So that's, that's probably the best thing that I can, I can try to, you know, impart upon the listeners of the podcast, I guess. No, that's huge. That's a, that's a big nugget to take away yeah. And because yeah, people oftentimes, you know, they go through the early parts of their career, they learn a bunch and then, and then they kind of, the, the ego sets in and yeah. then they feel like they're an expert and they're, you know, at a, there was a time where they were eager to learn and then now they know it all and they're coasting or whatever the case mm -hmm. may be but you know the world evolves technology evolves people evolve and so you constantly need to be learning and, and have an open enough mindset exactly. to be yeah. able to absorb it and, and grow yourself from within so i can definitely identify with you there and, and i appreciate those closing words but look now it's time for our sponsor giveaway tendeka is giving away a mini portable projector perfect for home theater boardroom office and pocket video for a chance to win click the link in the show notes and we'll announce the lucky winners as they come in we've got some events on deck so julie please tell us about the events coming up hey it's julie here and i have a few OGGN announcements before heading into the events on deck street team we are still taking volunteers for our street team we're only asking for an hour of your time per week in exchange for perks such as free entry to our happy hours, shirts, networking with other young professionals in our group. The group is within Facebook, but you do not have to have a Facebook to join. Just send me an email. The link will be in the show notes and I can get you started. Our happy hours. We are actually moving to quarterly happy hours rather than monthly. So our next Houston happy hour as well as Midland will be in August or September. Be on the lookout for that date. You'll get an invite if you're on the list. If not, you can sign up on the list below. And then we are launching another happy hour in Denver in August. So if you're interested in that one, the link is in the show notes as well to be notified. We don't have a date or details for that yet, but they're coming up. Okay, now on to the events on deck. We have Golf for Good on June 11th, 2019 in Houston, Texas. All proceeds go to help Redeemed Ministries with our long-term recovery program and safe house to help victims of human trafficking become survivors. 
So mark your calendars and be ready to golf for good with Redeemed and our organizers, Global SEM Energy and Red M. For more information on how to sponsor or register, just click the link in the show notes. Data-driven drilling and production conference is June 11th through 12th in Houston, Texas. This is where Silicon Valley meets oil and gas. Register at the link in our show notes below. The Energy and Data Conference is June 17th through 19th in Austin, Texas. This forward-looking conference will include the latest in digital transformation trends as they relate to the energy sectors with topics such as machine learning and data management storage, oil and gas development and drilling production, and more. Link down below. Energy Exposition is June 26th through 27th in Gillette, Wyoming. The Energy Exposition is for those who would like to know more about procedures, technology, safety, environmental practices, and equipment used in the oil and gas industry. And again, the link is in our show notes. Argentina Oil and Gas and Energy Summit 2019 is on July 10th and 11th in Buenos Aires. This summit's actually the first and only official event for the Argentinian oil and gas and energy industries. It will present a unique platform for networking that will bring together existing and future operators in the oil and gas industry in Argentina and Latin America. Next up is the 2019 IPANM annual meeting that Mark, Jake, and Paige will actually be speaking at. This will be July 24th through 26th in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And this year's theme is addressing operator needs in 2019. And next up is Desk and Derek Fort Worth second annual shoot for the future clay shoot. This clay shoot will be on July 26th in Decatur, Texas. And then last but not least, Summer Nape. This is going to be August 21st and 22nd to where the deals happen. Thanks, Julie. I also want to mention the OKC Fin Feather and Fur. It'll be happening Friday, October 11th, 2019 at the Heritage Place in Oklahoma City. This is obviously a ways away, but I wanted to uh, give them a shout out and it's relatively new for the Oklahoma region. So show them some love and go onto the AAD website or hit up Courtney Strang with Inwell for more details. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing old field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack <laughs> crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every three weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And that's in Houston uh, for everyone listening. And also, if you're looking to get in shape for summer, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. Thanks for listening. And again, if you're looking for more information, visit www.oilandgasonshore.com. Brian, thanks again for joining me today. If people want to reach out to you to get to know you or have some questions, uh, what's the best way? LinkedIn, MySpace, Instagram, what do you got, man? <laughs> LinkedIn's pretty good. LinkedIn? Yeah. Cool, yeah. man. Well, uh, if you don't mind, we'll put your link in the show notes. And for sure. <laughs> I'd say what's your, you know, what's Slumberjay's website, but everyone and their dog knows who Slumberjay is. I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, but, yeah for uh, sure, man. Yeah, that's perfect. Well, again, that's a wrap. And always remember, when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go down. Ooh-wee. 
Tune in next week for another captivating episode of Tendeka's Oil & Gas Onshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com. Network.com.